Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Uh, first up, off the, the back of really some, some sad news for Richard Johnson, who had to have surgery on, on his broken arm. And with all of us who were excited to see what would happen in the uh, Jockeys' Championship with Brian Hughes and, and Richard Johnson. Uh, well, it's not a formality now because we're, we're looking forward to, to seeing Richard back. But, Steve Jones, it, it's commiseration, of course, to Richard. We wish him a speedy recovery. It has had an impact on the Championship. Is it done and dusted for you? It certainly is an open goal now for Brian Hughes and uh, but we've seen what's happened to Richard it's a tough game it's the toughest game and uh, if you come back in one piece you've done all right and I suppose with Richard Johnson I mean he's he's knocking on a bit now and to break your arm is probably I know it's an awful thing to say a good thing because he's struggled with his hips and things like mm. that so the saving grace is that he will be back and uh and next year, I'm sure he's already eyeing that up because it does look like this year's championship is, is sailed, sadly, for him. We know that when uh, Richard won it and back a, a few years ago now, when he won his first, having chased, I think, 16 times, chased AP McCoy home, he was a very popular winner. And it's fair to say that Brian, were he to go on to win it, would, of course, be a, a very popular winner given his time in the game, Evan. Are they good lads? They're both very, very good lads for the game. Um, if Brian wins it, well, that's fantastic, but... Um, don't count Richard Johnson out. <laughs> Please don't. I've known him a long, long time. I knew him when he was a kid riding in Welsh Pointer Points, and he used to put the fear of God into me then. And just because it got a bit of age about him, please don't write him off. Um, whoever wins, I don't care. But I'm telling you all, do not write Dickie off. <laughs> I mean, it... I think it. I don't know whether it works better over over the jumps and the flat in recent years, perhaps. But there's there's been something about this year, anyway, Phil, which has really, I think, captured all of us. It's a shame in, in, in this instance that this has happened. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing, obviously, <coughs> if um, if he does win it, it'll be a boost for racing in the north. Yeah, if Brian does, absolutely, it will. Um, this one, perhaps, a little bit more for for Phil. Uh, this is. Um, uh, one of the O'Learys, I think it was Eddie, yes, lashing out over the BHA mark for Dallas Day Picton. Um, just to read you what, what he said, uh, £12 higher now in the UK than in Ireland. Uh, we've got 135 in Ireland, he's 147 in England. How does that make sense? He won't be going across now. We wouldn't cross the road with a mark like that. How do you justify a £12 difference between <laughs> jurisdictions? <coughs> well, because, he, because they are two different jurisdictions, that's exactly the point. And occasionally uh, you're going to get a situation like this. He's a hugely difficult horse to assess. <clears throat> he's won a two-finisher race. He's been third in a four-finisher race, and he's finished fifth. And we know that he won off a hundred, he was second off 140 in the Martin Pike last year, agreed 147 in the Anglo-Irish. <clears throat> so where do we go? I have to say there's no way I'd have him on 135. I may not have him on 147, but I can totally see where the British handicapping team are coming from because what they're saying is we haven't seen anything really yet to make us certain that he's not a 147 horse. It, is it a case of what's happened in recent times, particularly in those, in those Cheltenham handicaps and the Irish domination, the Irish domination at the festival, which has built into this and, a, and a, almost a fear from the British handicapper of not wanting to have the wool pulled over your eyes when they do come over? I, I actually don't believe that uh, the British handicappers have had the wool pulled over their eyes because a lot of those Irish winners in the Cheltenham handicaps have started at 20 to 1, 16 to 1. Nobody, they, they weren't, I don't believe many of them were, were plot horses 
so I, I don't think that they think like that at all. It's just in circumstances like that, you have minimal information to believe that he's different from what was agreed as, a, as his hurdle mark on 147. He's won a a soft race, he's been third and fifth in two others uh, you know, I'd want to see him again before I started getting him down to 135, if, if that was the figure uh, you know, for me, he'd be in the 140s. Well, apparently he won't be coming over and Tiger Roll <laughs> won't be running in the National either um, we'll come to that perhaps Right, what about feed? This was Paul Darcy claiming the BHA failed trainers on duty of care over feed products uh, again, I think it's useful to, to, to give you a, a, a quote, he, he said more robust information sharing between the BHA and trainers on products that have potential to cause adverse drug tests should be there. Um, Evan I, I, we explained a little bit of the background to this for you outside, it's a relatively complicated affair, um, but it was uh, something he admitted to, to his horse under certain conditions can effectively become a banned substance. Is the BHA, or should they be sharing that information with all trainers so someone like yourself perhaps could be protected? I think you've got to be very careful. It's very easy to blame the BHA for everything. Um, as a trainer, you have a responsibility to know what your horse is being fed. And if there is in some way a failed result, then you know what the consequences will be. Um, I understand in this situation that uh, the product, uh, you couldn't have said that it would contain, um, I think, an anabolic steroid yes. derivative or something. So it was a complicated one. But it's very simple. You should know what you feed your horse. And if you have any doubts, don't give it to it. Uh, it was uh, it, the Philly tested positive for boldenone sulfate, um, which he believed w w was because he gave the horse a, a feed supplement, the filly a, a feed supplement. One thing he did say was that he got a fair trial and was happy with the results, which is obviously a, a positive, and, and it was found that, that no fault lay at his feet, Steve. Yeah, I mean, what we're dealing with, with guys like Evan and the rest of the trainers, if you do test, a horse tests positive for drugs, then it is a big deal. It's a big deal for your, your reputation uh, and also for your livelihood, as we saw in different set of circumstances with Huey Morrison. And it's a very emotive subject. But like Evan says, you've got to take every precaution yourself before you go blaming other people. But I'm no scientist. It's probably a surprise to you. But um, uh, <laughs> From one scientist to another, you need to not. You need to know you're taking the, the right information from the experts. Can I just say a quick on... Yep. Do the manufacturers not have a duty of care? Hmm? They would be the people I'd be concerned about. Yeah. Uh, that's our two minutes long gone. Pina Tubo is our uh, next topic of conversation um, because uh, he was given a, a well a, a mark, as you would say, reflective of, of what he achieved in a stunning two-year-old career. Uh, how easy or difficult is it to assess these juveniles in comparison to other, older horses with more racing under their belt? I think it's very difficult. That's why we put a top man on the on the case, uh, Graham Smith, who's absolutely brilliant at it. Um, Having, having looked at it independently, I think he's absolutely spot on. Uh, it's a, an agreed figure between the European uh, two-year-old handicappers. Looks a good figure to me. Uh, the interesting thing about Pinatubo, he wasn't as good, his performance wasn't as good in the Dewhurst as it was in the national stakes. And if you think in terms of weight for age, from the national stakes to the 2,000 guineas, he has to improve 14 pound just to stay still, just to still be the same figure. So if he doesn't improve at all, no physical immaturity at all, 
he becomes from a 128 horse, he becomes a 114 horse. If he makes normal improvement, which is expected of horses going from two to three, the average amount, then he's still a 128 horse. But that's based on his national stakes, his Dewhurst stakes was lower. Let's see if he makes the, the make, let's see if he makes the, nat- the natural improvement. Do, do you think it, it, it works um, the, the, the highest rated horse since? XXX for you with regards to the generating stories and our excitement about these horses when they come into their, their three-year-old campaigns, Steve? It's, it's handy for generating stories, yeah, and um, Phil's probably going to scowl in my direction, but he's not going to run a handicap. What's the point? What's the point in all, these, in all these ratings? I think, God, why do people get so wound up? They're not going to run in, in, in handicaps. like the Longines ratings. You know, run, a six-field on horses rated three pounds higher than a miler or a, a, a stayer. I'm, I'm going to give you an extra twenty seconds to come back on that because I want <coughs> you to. Well, I think it creates a great amount of interest. It does, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's important, and also historical record. I think people want to know, you know, the, look at the history of these horses and see who's been the best sprinter for the last twenty years, stayer. Miler, etc. I think it creates a huge amount of interest, but no, it's it's never going to be tested in the way that a handicap tests it. Uh-huh. Maracuja is the uh, next talking point. Um, Dan Skelton was not happy with the horse being given an eleven-pound rise for a beating or being beaten seven and a half lengths by Deputy Sell in the match with Clarence House and five lengths by Underso. Evan, do you have sympathy with Dan? No. Sixteen and a half thousand quid's worth of. £11 or whatever it was. Look, there's simple rules in this whole game. The handicapper will tell you what to do and what not to do. And you can't run in a grade one, be placed with a handicapper and not expect to go up. End of. So... With that in mind, would you would it would that have let's say you had a, a horse similar who you felt could pick up some nice prize money? Would it would the system as is have put you off running in a in a race like that? Probably, probably. But that's the way I do what I do. Mm. Now I'm not as successful as Dan. Dan's a lot more successful trainer than I am, and I'm sure that what he's saying is right. But you've asked my opinion, mm. and I personally think I wouldn't have done what he done. Um, you. You are, you, you're not part of the BHA now, so you can no. give us an honest appraisal of what you think about that £11 rise. Um, well, let's, first of all, let's look at a, an, an, another example. A couple of years ago, uh, he had Mohayed, who was third in the Christmas hurdle behind Bouverdeur, and didn't go up at all. And his next run, he won the county hurdle. Mm-hmm. So I think Dan has to take the rough with the smooth sometimes. You know, and that's a different decision at a different time about different circumstances. So I have no problem with those decisions being differently. But I think what's interesting is we're going to have the same situation this week because everybody was talking about how wonderful Paisley Park uh, was uh, yesterday. <laughs> but the reality is that Lisnagar Oscar was very, very close to Paisley Park, getting, I think, beaten six lengths, getting three pounds. So it'll be interesting to see if we have the same situation this week. Mm. Can, can I just say on the bell, the, the only worry with, with going up like that is you will scare horses away, and we saw that with Surname and Altior, which was basically a match, and that's what you might get if trainers are going to be hit like that. So there's a little bit of context where Maracuja, I think, had won two handicaps from 17 and is now a stone higher than last. I can see from the, the facts and figures, but you might end up with even smaller fields in uh, the grey Did Maracuja make a contribution to that race? Um, <laughs> fair question. But 
You do want to see more than two runners in a grade a, one. A race. But the, why? The, why do you want to see uncompetitive racing? But it's going to We're going to pick sh- this up afterwards. It's going to be less gonna, gonna hit that hammer on the two minutes. Um, a race that, that used to be, of course, a, a, a graded handicap itself. Maybe that would change that. We're going to pick that up afterwards because we can do. Um, Animal Aid. This is um, uh, a recent document uh, published which has Animal Aid uh, listed on, on a list with similar groups or perhaps not similar groups. Uh, there are green pieces on there. There's also some right-wing groups and jihadist groups as well who could be considered harmful to society, um, perhaps because of the feeling it instills in people. Um, obviously, Animal Aid and, and, and their connections were um, furious to be on said list. There may well be plenty in horse racing, Steve, who are happy to see them on the list. Where do you stand? In horse racing at the moment, we face a, a real threat on welfare issues. We know we, we're very open with the, the way horses are, are treated and uh, sometimes horses actually sadly do die and people like Animal Aid jump all over it. And there's some suggestion that um, Grand National Day, they would quite happily see horses injured and, and ultimately die because it furthers their campaign. They've got no interest in horse racing other than getting it stopped and we need to stand up to that, that kind of the RSPCA I'm sure as Phil knows in, uh, working very closely with the BHA those are the kind of um, organisations racing needs to be with there's some suggestion that is a real possibility that there will be no horse racing in North America in say 10 years because of the welfare things. The welfare in Australia is massive and we need to be aware of the threat and who the people are that are um, are likely to be the ones pushing that. And if it's animal aid, we need to be very aware. And much of that, I think much of this uh, came because of the, the advert they've, they've had on the bus, which was if you... You wouldn't hit, hit a dog, so why would you whip a horse? Um, I think that the, the the vitriol from within the horse racing world was was really directed because of that misleading advert. Well, you've got to be very careful with anybody with extreme views because they want to mislead the average man in the street. And the one thing I've got a lot of confidence in is our welfare issues, as far as racing is concerned, are the best in the world, not one of the best, the best. And I can safely say that having been involved in Grand Nationals for a good number of years. And they've led the way because it is our flagship race, no matter what anyone else thinks. But your man in the street will not be pushed down a route of listening to extremists. Mm. Um, And I've got enough confidence in the the common sense aspect of the British public to realise that. The uh, Dublin Racing Festival, we're putting it on there really because it's next week and there's, I think it's fair to say for those of us that want competitive racing from both sides of the Irish Sea, um, there's a, not a great turnout as we've seen with regard to British runners at the Dublin Racing Festival. Evan, it makes sense to come back to you on that. Why do you think that is? Well, Dan can take his horse. <laughs> that would be the best. Look... I can get beaten in Chepstow and Force Lass. I don't need to go all the way to Dublin to get beaten by Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott and Henry de Bromhead. It's tough over there. They are brilliant trainers. They've got brilliant horses, brilliant jockeys. And it's nicer to stay this side of the, the, the Irish Sea for so, as long as you can. So, so 
if there are three factors, let's take into account timing when it falls with regards to what you may be targeting later on in the calendar, perhaps um, the traveling aspect or the quality you're taking on for you. Would it be that that quality that, that 100%, just percent, hundred percent, you know, why would you go? Why would you go there at this time of year to take on that quality of opposition? You wouldn't. When it, when it became the Dublin Racing Festival, Phil, did you think more, more British trainers and owners would target it? No. Um, I think it's really interesting. I totally agree with Evan, actually. Um, Willie Mullins said to me many, many years ago uh, when I suggested that he might bring a horse over to run in a, a race in sort of November, December in Britain, he said, I only like to bring my horses over once for the Cheltenham Festival. I don't like to bring them over as a preamble to that. And I think that I can see the same going backwards. You know, if I was a British trainer, I'm not sure I'd be wanting to send my horse over to Ireland in February and with Cheltenham just around the corner. And the second point is they won't win. You're, from your experience as, as head of handicapping? They won't. I think it's really difficult for our horses to win in Ireland. It's a lot easier, despite what everything is said, for Irish horses to win in Britain than it is for British horses to win in Ireland. Right, we're going to pick up on that very shortly, but uh, that is it from Talking Points. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastia Cruel Dubai.